Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse with the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading and the lesson for the day sent to your email from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from 9.15 to about 10.50 a.m. Eastern. And today we are continuing our reading of Chapter 21, The Inner Picture, with... Section 8, Perception and Wishes. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 243. Today I will judge nothing that occurs. Today, today I will judge nothing that occurs. And by way of opening this morning, uh, three little thoughts from Rumi um, are lighting up my thoughts today. And they go like this. There is a morning inside you waiting to burst open into light. Always remember that you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think, and twice as beautiful as you'd ever imagined. And finally, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise. So I am changing myself. How about that for a reflection on the inner picture? Amen. Oh, that was great. Thanks, Laurie. That was really great. I love it, Laurie. Oh, good. I loved it, too. Thank you. Okay, my friends. Here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne. Yvonne, Jessica, and Lana, and we're joined in listening this morning by Ida and Diana, and perhaps later down the list, Robin Marie will be uh, reading. Is anyone else joined us that would like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Good morning, Lori. This is Harrison, just listening. Good morning, Harrison. All right, so we're taking up again Chapter 21, The Inner Picture, with Section 8, Perception and Wishes, beginning with Paragraph 70. Do you not see that all your misery comes from the strange belief that you are powerless? I think we have one unmuted line. Um, Being helpless is the cost of sin. Helplessness is sin's condition, the one requirement that it demands to be believed. Only the helpless could believe in it. Enormity has no appeal save to the little, and only those who first believe that they are little could see attraction there. Treachery to the Son of God is the defense of those who do not identify with him. And you are for him or against him. Either you love him or attack him. Protect his unity or see him shattered 
and slain by your attack. Hello, Lemoyne. Okay, chapter 21, the inner picture, section 8, perception and wishes. Do you not see that all your misery comes from the strange belief that you are powerless? Being helpless is the cost of sin. Helplessness is sin's condition, the one requirement that it demands to be believed. Only the helpless could believe it. Enormity has no appeal save to the little. And only those who first believed that they are little could see attraction there. Treachery to the Son of God is the defense of those who do not identify with him. And you are either for him or against him. Either you love him or attack him. Protect his unity or see him shattered and slain by your attack. No one believes the Son of God is powerless, and those who see themselves as helpless must believe that they are not the Son of God. What can they be except his enemy? And what can they do but envy him his power, and by their envy make themselves afraid of it? These are the dark ones, silent and afraid, alone and not communicating, fearful the power of the Son of God will strike them dead, raising up their helplessness against him. They join the army of the powerless to wage their war of vengeance, bitterness, and fight on him to make him one with them. Because they do not know that they are one with him, they do not, they, excuse me, because they do not know they are one with him, they know not whom they hate. They are indeed a sorry army. Each one is likely to attack his brother or turn upon himself as to remember they thought they had a common cause. You on mute, Mari? Oh. I must still be on mute, huh? Okay. No, you're not on mute. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. I'm just waiting for your prompt, Lori. Okay. My button is letting me down today. I'll find another way to do this. Um, so thank you, Lemoyne and Yvonne. Okay, thank you, Lori. No one believes the Son of God is powerless. And those who see themselves and those who see themselves as helpless must believe that they are not the Son of God. What can they be except his enemy? And what can they do but envy him his power and by their envy make themselves afraid of it? These are the dark ones, silent and afraid, alone and not communicating, fearful. The power of the Son of God will strike them dead and raising up their helplessness against him. 
They joined the army of the powerless <laughs> to wage their war of vengeance, bitterness, and spite on him to make him one of them. Oh, and excuse me, and and I guess it should be spit on him. Uh, make him one with them. Because they do not know they are one with him, they know not whom they hate. They are indeed a sorry army. Each one is likely to attack his brother or turn upon himself as to remember they thought they had a common cause. Frantic and loud and strong, the dark ones seem to be. Yet they know not their enemy, except they hate him. In hatred they have come together, but have not joined each other. For had they done so, hatred would be impossible. The army of the powerless must be disbanded in the presence of strength. Those who are strong are never treacherous because they have no need to dream of power and to act out their dreams. How would an army act in dreams? Anyway, at all. It could be seen attacking anyone with anything. Dreams have no reason in them. A flower turns into a poison spear. A child becomes a giant. And a mouse roars like a lion. And love is turned to hate as easily. There is no army but a madhouse. This is no army but a madhouse. What seemed to be a planned attack is bedlam. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, Yvonne. And Jessica. Thank you. 72. Whoops. 71. I mean, 72. Uh, Frantic and loud and strong, the dark ones seem to be. Yet they know not their enemy, except they hate him. In hatred, they have come together, but have not joined each other. For had they done so, hatred would be impossible. The army of the powerless must be disbanded in the presence of strength. Those who are strong are never treacherous, because they have no need to dream of power and to act out their dreams. How would an army act in dreams? Any way at all. It could be seen attacking anyone with anything. Dreams have no reason in them. A flower turns into a poison spear. A child becomes a giant. And a mouse roars like a lion. And love is turned to hate as easily. This is no army but a madhouse. What seems to be a planned attack is bedlam. 73. The army of the powerless is weak indeed. It has no weapons and it has no enemy. Yes, it can overrun the world and seek an enemy. But it can never find what is not there. Yes, it can dream it found an enemy, but this will shift even as it attacks, so that it runs at once, find another, and never comes to rest in victory. And as it runs, it turns against itself, thinking it caught a glimpse of the great enemy, which always eludes 
eludes its murderous attack by turning into something else. How treacherous does this enemy appear who changes so it is impossible even to recognize him. Thank you, Jessica. And Lana. Okay, 73. The army of the powerless is weak indeed. It has no weapons and it has no army. Yes, it can overrun the world and seek an enemy. But it can never find what is not there. Yes, it can dream it found an enemy, but this will shift even as it attacks, so that it runs at once, so that it runs at once to find another and never comes to rest in victory. And as it runs, it turns against itself, thinking it caught a glimpse of the great enemy which always eludes its murderous attack by turning into something else. How treacherous does this enemy appear who changes so it is impossible even to recognize him. Yet hate must have a target. There can be no faith in sin without an enemy. Who that believes in sin would dare believe he has no enemy. Could he admit that no one made him powerless? Reason would surely bid him seek no longer what is not there to find. Yet first he must be willing to perceive a world where it is not. It is not necessary that he understand that he understand how he can see it, nor should he try. For if he focuses on what he cannot understand, he will but emphasize his helplessness and let sin tell him that his enemy must be himself. But let him only ask himself these questions, which he must decide to have it done for him. Let me read that last sentence again. But let him only ask himself these questions, which he must decide to have it done for him. Did you want Thank me to you, read Lana. the question? Okay. You know, you know. Why don't you go ahead and do that? We'll do them. T- we'll wind up doing it twice then. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. So, let me read that last sentence again. <laughs> um, but okay. let him only. But let him only ask himself these questions, which he must decide to have it done for him. Do I desire a world I rule instead of one which rules me? Do I desire a world where I am powerful instead of helpless? Do I desire a world in which I have no enemies and cannot sin? And do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? Thank you, Lana. And Robin Marie, if you're able to read now, if you'd like to do uh, 74, 75, and 76. Okay, cool. Thanks. 75. Thank you. (laughs) Do I desire... Thanks. Uh, Do you want to do 74 too, Robin Marie? Oh, 74. 
Okay. Yeah, thanks. <clears throat> if hate must have a target, there can be no faith in sin without an enemy. Who that believes in sin would dare believe he has no enemy? Could he admit that no one made him powerless? Reason would surely bid him seek no longer what is not there to find. Yet first, he must be willing to perceive a world where it is not. It is not necessary that he understand how he can see it, nor should he try. For if he focuses on what he cannot understand, he will but emphasize his helplessness and let sin tell him that his enemy must be himself. But let him only ask himself these questions, which he must decide to have it done for him. Oh. 75. Do I desire a world I rule instead of one which rules me? Do I desire a world where I am powerful instead of helpless? Do I desire a world in which I have no enemies and cannot sin? And do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? 76. You have already answered the first three questions, but not yet the last. For this one still seems fearful and unlike the others. Yet reason would assure you they are all the same. We said this year would emphasize the sameness of things that are the same. This final question, which is indeed the last you need decide, still feel, seems to hold a threat the rest have lost for, for you. And this imagined difference attests to your belief that truth may be the enemy you yet may find. Here then, would seem to be the last remaining hope of finding sin and not accepting power. Thank you, Robin Marie. And do we have a new reader for 76 and 77? Hi, Lori. I, I don't know where to start. Is this... Um, you would begin right after that last question. Okay. And do I this... want to see what I deny because it is the truth? You have already answered. Oh, and do I want to yes. see what I deny because it is the truth? You may have already yes. answered mm -hmm. three questions. Thank you, Lori. You may have already you may already have answered the first three questions, but not yet the last, for this one still seems fearful and unlike the others. Yet reason would assure you they are all the same. We said this year would emphasize the sameness of things that are the same. This final question, which is indeed the last you need to decide, still seem to hold a threat the rest have lost for you. And this imagined difference attests to your belief that truth may be the enemy you yet may find. Here, then, would seem to be 
the last remaining hope of finding sin and not accepting power. Forget not that the choice of sin or truth, helplessness or power is the choice of whether to attack or heal. For healing comes of power, an attack of helplessness. Whom you attack, you cannot want to heal. And whom you would have healed must be the one you chose to be protected from attack. And what is this decision but the choice whether to see him through the body's eyes or let him be revealed to you through vision. How this decision leads to its effects is not your problem, but what you want to see must be your choice. This is a course in cause and not effect. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Judy. And is there another new reader for 77, 78, and 79? Good morning, Lori. Thanks, Mindy. You're just a little bit muffled. Oh, okay. Well, let's see if I can uh, rectify that. That's much that. better. Okay. And if you will be patient, I just have to scroll to where this is. And there we are. Thank you. And you know, may I ask you a favor while I scroll to this? Would it be all right to repeat mm -hmm. the questions? Um, no, go ahead. That's fine. And then pick up at well, 77. Sure. To, yeah, yeah. I was asking you to do it while I scroll to where we are because I, I'm, I'm almost there. Oh, okay. So do I desire a world I rule instead of one which rules me? Do I desire a world where I'm powerful instead of helpless? Do I desire a world in which I have no enemies and cannot sin? And do I want to see what I have denied because it is the truth? Oh, thank you, Lori. And uh, looks like I only go up to 71 here uh, in my, my phone. So now it looks like I cannot read, so I have to pass. <laughs> okay, honey. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we're looking for a reader for 77, 78, 79. All right, back to you, Lemoyne. Forget not that the choice of truth or sin, power or helplessness, is the choice of whether to attack or heal. <clears throat> For healing comes of power and attack of helplessness. Whom you attack, you cannot want to heal. And whom you would have healed must be the one you chose to be protected from attack. And what is this decision but the choice whether to see him through the body's eyes or let him be revealed to you through vision. 
How this decision leads to its effect is not your problem. But what you want to see must be your choice. This is a course in cause and not effect. Consider carefully your answer to the last question you have left unanswered still and let your reason tell you that it must be answered and is answered in the other three. And then it will be clear to you that as you look on the effects of sin in any form, all you need do is simply ask yourself, is this what I would see? Do I want this? Thank you, Lemoyne. And so if on, then that would be 78, 79, and 80, please. All right. 78. Consider carefully your answer to the last question that you have left unanswered still. I'm going to go back to that last question. And do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? Okay, consider carefully your answer to the last question you have left unanswered still, and let your reason tell you that it must be answered, and is answered in the other three. And then it will be clear to you that as you look on the effects of sin in any form, all you need do is simply ask yourself, is this what I want? Is this what I would see? Is this what I would see? Do I want this? This is your one decision. This the condition for what occurs. It is irrelevant to how it happens, but not to why. You have control of this. And if you choose to see a world without an enemy in which you are not helpless, the means to see it will be given you. Thank you, Yvonne. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh, that's great. And Jessica, then it would be... uh, Go ahead and pick up the last sentence of 78 and read through 81, please. Okay. And then it will be clear to you that as you look on the effects of sin in any form, all you need do is simply ask yourself, Is this what I would see? Do I want this? This is your one decision. This the condition for what occurs. It is irrelevant to how it happens, but not to why. You have control of this. And if you choose to see a world without an enemy in which you are not helpless, the means to see it will be given you. And now I forgot if I'm supposed to read 81. Uh, Yes, please. Yes, okay, sorry. Why is the final question so important? Reason will tell you why. It is the same as are the other three except in time. The others are decisions which can be made and then unmade and made again. But truth is constant 
and implies a state where vacillations are impossible. You can desire a world you rule which rules you not and change your mind. You can desire to exchange your helplessness for power and lose this same desire as a little glint of sin attracts you. And you can want to see a sinless world and let an, quote, enemy tempt you to use the body's eyes and change what you desire. Thank you, Jessica. And Lana, that would be 81 and 82. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 81. Why is the final question so important? Reason will tell you why. It is the same as are the other three, except in time. The others are decisions which can be made and then unmade and made again. But truth is constant and implies a state where vacillations are impossible. You can desire a world you rule which rules you not and change your mind. You can desire to exchange your helplessness for power and lose the same desire as a little glint of sin attracts you. And you can want to see a sinless world and let an enemy, in quotes, tempt you to use the body's eyes and change what you desire. In, 82. in content, all the questions are the same, for each one asks if you are willing to exchange the world of sin for what the Holy Spirit sees, since it is this, since it is this the world of sin denies. And therefore, those who look on sin are seeing the denial of the real world. Yet the last question adds the wish for constancy in your desire to see the real world. So the desire becomes the only one you have. By answering the final question, yes, you add sincerity to the decisions you have already made to all the rest. For only then have you renounced the option to change your mind again. When it is this you do not, when it is this you do not want, the rest are wholly answered. Thank you, Lana. And Robin Marie. Eighty-two. <clears throat> In content, all the questions are the same. For each one asks if you are willing to exchange the world of sin for what the Holy Spirit sees, since it is this the world of sin denies. And therefore, those who look on sin are seeing the denial of the real world. Yet the last question adds the wish for constancy in your desire to see the real world. So the desire becomes the only one you have. By answering the final question, quote, yes, unquote, you add sincerity to the decisions you have already made to all the rest. For only then have you renounced the option to change your mind again. 
when it is this you do not want, the rest are wholly answered. 83. Why do you think you are unsure the others have been answered? Could it be necessary they be asked so often if they had? Until the last decision has been made, the answer is both, quote, yes, unquote, and no, unquote. For you have answered yes, in quotes, without perceiving that yes, in quotes, must mean <laughs> not no, in quotes. No one decides against his happiness, but he may do so if he does not see he does it. And if he sees his happiness as ever-changing, now this, now that, and now an elusive shadow attached to nothing, he does decide decide against it. Thank you, Robin Marie. Um, and would there be a new reader for 83 and 84? Okay, Lemoyne. Oh, wait now, Judy, you read that, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Are you able to read again, Judy? Starting with, why do you think you are unsure? Why, sure, Lori, thank you. Why do you think you are unsure? The others have been answered. Could it be necessary they be asked so often? If they had, until the last decision has been made, the answer is both yes and no. For you have answered yes without perceiving that yes must mean not no. No one decides against his happiness, but he may do so if he does not see he does. And if he sees his happiness as ever-changing, now this, now that, and now, an elusive shadow attached to nothing, he does decide against it. Elusive happiness, or happiness in changing form that shifts with time and place, is an illusion that has no meaning. Happiness must be constant because it is attained by giving up the wish for the inconstant. Joy cannot be perceived except through constant vision. And constant vision can be given only those who wish for constancy. The power of the Son of God's desire remains the proof that he is wrong who sees himself as helpless. Desire what you want, and you will look on it and think it real. No thought but has the power to release or kill, and none can leave the thinker's mind or leave him unaffected. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Oh, yes. Thank you, Judy. And would there be a new reader for 84? Okay, Lemoyne. Elusive happiness, or happiness in changing form, that shifts with time and place, 
is an illusion which has no meaning. Happiness must be constant because it is attained by giving up the wish for the income. Joy cannot be perceived except through constant vision. And constant vision can be given only those who wish for constancy. The power of the Son of God's desire remains the proof that he is wrong who sees himself as helpless. Desire what you will, and you will look on it and think it real. No thought but has the power to release or kill, and none can leave the thinker's mind or leave him unaffected. Thank you, Lemoyne. <clears throat> and thank you, everyone who read this morning. It's a pithy reading for sure. And so um, to summarize as briefly as possible, <laughs> Section 8, Perception and Wishes, from that first paragraph, do you not see that all your misery comes from the strange belief that you are powerless? Helplessness is sin's condition, the one requirement that it demands to be believed. Treachery to the Son of God is the defense of those who do not identify with him. And you are for him or against him. Either you love him or attack him. Protect his unity or see him shattered and slain by your attack. 71. No one believes the Son of God is powerless. In 72. The army of the powerless must be demanded disbanded in the presence of strength. Those who are strong are never treacherous because they have no need to dream of power and to act out their dream. In 73, the army of the powerless is weak indeed. And in 74, who that believes in sin would dare believe he has no enemy? Could he admit that no one made him powerless? Reason would surely bid him seek no longer what is not there to find. Yet first he must be willing to perceive a world where hate is not. It is not necessary that he understand how he can see it, but let him only ask himself these questions, which he must decide to have it done for him. Do I desire a world I rule instead of one which rules me? Do I desire a world where I am powerful instead of helpless? Do I desire a world in which I have no enemies and cannot sin? And do I want to see what I denied because it is the truth? In 76, you have already answered the first three questions, but not yet the last. For this one still seems fearful and unlike the others. And is and this imagined difference attests to your belief that truth may be the enemy you yet may find. 77, forget not that the choice of truth or sin power or helplessness is the choice of whether to attack or heal for healing comes of power and attack of helplessness whom you attack you cannot want to heal and whom you would have healed 
must be the one you choose to be protected from attack. And what is this decision but the choice whether to see him through the body's eyes or let him be revealed to you through vision? How this decision leads to effects is not your problem, but what you want to see must be your choice. This is a course and cause and not effect. In 78, consider carefully your answer to the last question you have left unanswered still and let your reason tell you that it must be answered and is answered in the other three. And then it will be clear to you as you look on the effects of sin in any form. All you need to do is simply ask yourself, is this what I would see? Do I want this? This is your one decision. This the condition for what occurs. And if you choose to see a world without an enemy in which you are not helpless, the means to see it will be given you. 81. Why is the final question so important? Reason will tell you why. It is the same as the other three, except in time. Truth is constant and implies a state where vacillations are impossible. 82. In content, all the questions are the same. For each one asks if you are willing to exchange the world of sin for what the Holy Spirit sees. Since this, since it is this the world of sin denies. And therefore those who look on sin are seeing the denial of the real world. Yet the last question asks, adds the wish for constancy to your desire to see the real world. So the desire becomes the only one you have. And by answering the final question, yes, you add sincerity to the decisions you've already made to all the rest. And only then have you renounced the option to change your mind again. And when it is this you do not want, the rest are wholly answered. Finally, in that last paragraph, happiness must be constant because it is attained by giving up the wish for inconstant. Joy cannot be perceived except through the constant vision. And constant vision can be given only those who wish for constancy. The power of the Son of God's desire remains the proof that he is wrong who sees himself as helpless. Desire what you will and you will look on it and think it real. No thought but has the power to release or kill, and none can leave the thinker's mind or leave him unaffected. Amen. And how about that? We're precisely at the top of the hour. And so uh, Fran is transporting her brother this morning, and I wonder if we have a volunteer who'd like to lead our lesson reflection this morning. Yes, Laurie, I Thank you, Yvonne. Thank you so much. Okay. So today, Lesson 243, today I will judge nothing that occurs. But first I want to go to the part two, what is the world? And as we were reading um, this morning, um, what a contrast this what is the world to what we just read. So I wanted just to emphasize that a little today. 
Okay, what is the world? The world is false perception. It is born of error, and it has not left its source. It will remain no longer than the thought which gave it birth is cherished. When the thought of separation has been changed to one of true forgiveness, will the world be seen in quite another light, and one which leads to truth, where all the world must disappear and all its errors vanish. Now its source is gone and its effects are gone as well. The world was made as an attack on God. It symbolizes fear. And what is fear except love's absence? Thus the world was meant to be a place where God could not enter or where God could enter not and where his son could be apart from him. Here was perception born for knowledge could not cause such insane thoughts. But eyes deceive and ears hear falsely. Now mistakes become quite possible for certainty has gone. As sight was made to lead away from truth, it can be redirected. Sounds become the call of God, and all perception can be given a new purpose by the one whom God appointed Savior to the world. Follow his light and see the world as he beholds it. Hear his voice alone in all that speaks to you, and let him give you peace and certainty which you have thrown away, but heaven has preserved for you in him. Let us not rest content until the world has joined our changed perception. Let us not be satisfied until forgiveness has been made complete. And let us not attempt to change our function. We must save the world, for for we who made it must behold it through the eyes of Christ that what was made to die can be restored to everlasting life. I'll go to the lesson, lesson 243. This is very clear today. Today I will judge nothing that occurs. I will be honest with myself today. I will not think that I already know what must remain beyond my present grasp. I will not think that I understand the whole from bits of my perception, which are all that I can see. Today I recognize that this is so, and so I am relieved of judgment which I cannot make. Thus do I free myself and what I look upon to be in peace, as God created me, God created us. Father, today I leave creation free to be itself. I honor all its parts in which I am included. We are all one because each part contains your memory and truth must shine in all of us as one. Amen. We'll take a moment here, reflect on this.
today I will judge nothing that occurs. Father, today I leave creation free to be itself. I honor all its parts in which I am included. We are one because each part contains your memory and truth must shine in all of us as one. Amen. So be it. Amen. And I felt your clarity, Yvonne. It was beautiful. Thank you, Laura. Yes, I mean, when i reading this, this reading, is it, do you not see that all your misery comes from the strange belief that you are powerless? It's so beautiful. And no one believes the Son of God is powerless, but those who see themselves as helpless must believe that they are not the Son of God. And I keep reflecting on the world and the situation in it, and it's just so clear to me because all of this hatred and, and so on that's going on is because all of us believe that we are powerless, and if we're powerless, then we're separate from God. And it's just so clear to me today. Thank you so much, Laurie. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Yvonne. Yeah, that was just um, great. Great share. Thank you, Alon. That was wonderful. Hi, good morning, it's Lana. Um, it's so good to be here today. Um, when I read this, um, I guess, I, when did I read? Last night I was reading it, and it brought to mind um, a book, a dear friend of mine, uh, she transitioned a few years ago, her name was Connie, and she wrote a book called what, what is the Most Important Question? And it, she described it as a children's book for adults, <laughs> and it was quite beautiful and it told the story a true story about Einstein Albert Einstein and this little girl that lived next door his neighbor and one day she asked Einstein what is the most important question and he took a day or two to think about it and the next time he saw the little girl he told her that the most important question is is the universe a friendly place and um, it, it is a really profound question when you think about it because it, the person asking that question is pointed inward to evaluate their own beliefs. You know, if I believe the universe is a friendly place, it will respond in, in kind because beliefs are the engine of um, all our perceptions. And, uh, you know, as Jesus talks about, as he talks about it today, one statement just jumps off the page for me is um, this is a course in cause and not effect. And uh, the root cause, of course, for me and for most of us, I guess, is, is well, is that I'm separate from God. And um, everything, if I have that strong belief, if I have that belief, then my whole world or my universe will reflect that if I'm if I'm think if I leave I'm powerless 
and the universe will respond and validate, yes, you're power, powerless. And these will show up the, as the effects of my belief. So it's, it's one of those really deep questions. And, and I like that, he, that Jesus brought in the idea of time because in time we do heal the effects of, the, of that fundamental belief, I'm separate from God. And we heal them, you know. I don't know how many times, <laughs> you know, daily, you know, I'm healing these little effects that show up as scarcity or show, show up as sadness or, or show up um, as anything unlike truth and, and love and God. And, um, and, and to, to say is the universe a friendly place to me is also to say, is God a friendly God or is God my enemy? Because if I believe that he's my enemy, um, then everything becomes frightening, and every all the effects of that belief show up as frightening. So, you know, once again, the Course reminds me that the truth is very simple. I am one for, with God. There's no separation. And the only thing that stands in the way of my experiencing that truth is this belief, this fundamental deep-seated belief you know that I'm that I'm not the son of God. That there is a separation between us. That or even God does not exist. You know, it's I have to look at my beliefs and look at my experience because I don't have to understand any of it. I just have to notice I'm not at peace. I'm not feeling joyful. I'm not my the effects of my beliefs are showing up all around me, and I'm projecting them outward and um, blaming the world, blaming God, blaming my brothers. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm so engaged in the effects of my belief that I forget that if I just went back and looked at that one fundamental belief and healed it, I would be free for all time, you know, for all time, the whole time I'm walking around in this realm of time and space. You know, and um, I wouldn't need that choose once again option, <laughs> you know, because it would be solid, it would be changeless, it would be all there is, and I wouldn't even have a notion that there is an option other than to experience the peace and joy and love of God. So, um, you know, the practice continues, practice makes progress, and I do see progress, you know, I, I, can, I see those time intervals when the world shows up as a friendly place, a peaceful place, and those time intervals are, very, are getting longer and longer, and the time intervals of fear grow shorter and shorter and less frequent. So I see that progress is being made. Um, so that, that comforts me, you know. So um, anyhow, I, I did think of that little story about Einstein, and I thought that it just fits so perfectly into the reading today. Um, I'm complete. Thank you for listening. Oh, thank you, Lana. Yeah, that was a great fit. Yeah, I really like the way that fits the reading. That question, is the world a friendly place? Because if it is, then the choice for happiness just becomes natural. And 
<clears throat> and that's why that distillation of all those questions becomes this, this what I want to be. It's what I want. And I have to see this. I just see the world as a friendly place. And difficulty might be just my last step of uh, a lesson. The truth would have more in the complete. Thank you, Lemoyne. Yeah, that last question. This is what I would want. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And, um, boy, the reading and the lesson sure go together today. And I'm recalling, um, recalling how we read in an earlier section that the choice is always judgment or vision. Um, to choose judgment is to choose against vision, and to choose vision is to choose against judgment. I can have, I cannot have both. I simply cannot have both. And the four questions, of course, uh, are saying the same thing. I was um, especially attracted to something that you read when you summarized what is the world divine in that first paragraph. In what is the world, he says, it, this world will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth. And when I look at that sentence, this world will exist no longer, remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth. And the last sentence in today's lesson, in that paragraph that we read, and so I am relieved of judgment which I cannot make, thus do I free myself and what I look upon to be in peace as God created us. The, um, the whole message of the inner, inner picture, this chapter 21, inner picture, the whole message of it is projection makes perception. Projection makes perception. You see what you believe is there, and you believe it's there because you want it there. If my inner picture is aligned with truth, I will remember that God's Son is sinless and guiltless and remains as he was created. That's just the truth. That's the truth of the atonement. And when I accept atonement for myself, I'm um, professing. Yeah, professing is a good word for that. I am professing my agreement that I am as God created me, sinless, guiltless, perfect, as the subject of his love forever, eternally loved, eternally protected, eternally held in that mind of truth. 
when that's my inner picture, that's what I will project because I will be projecting that truth. I will have given up the thought that there is such a thing as separation from the mind of God. I will have given up the idea that illusions could replace truth, that fear can replace love, that separation can replace unity, that guilt can replace innocence, that illusion can replace truth, that sin can replace holiness. I will have given all that up when I accept atonement for myself. That becomes my inner picture. And because projection makes perception, I won't have those false ideas in my mind to project. And that's what he means when he says, this world will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth. That thought being belief in sin, guilt, and fear. And my belief in sin, guilt, and fear are removed from my holy mind by accepting atonement for myself. Those things will not be in my mind to project. And that's how he can say that I am relieved of judgment which I cannot make. Why need I judge anything if I've accepted the truth in my mind? I'll have no need to judge. Not only will I have no need to judge, I'll see that it's impossible to judge against the truth as God created it. Without a need to judge, I free myself and what I look upon because what I look upon is a projection of what's in my mind. You see? And that's how the real world is restored to me with vision. The vision of Christ sees only truth, sees the innocence and the perfection and the guiltlessness in which the Son of God was created eternally and so remains. When I'm seeing other than truth, I've forgotten myself. You see, when I see other than, than truth, when I see hatred or choose to attack or defend, I'm seeing other than the truth in my mind. This is how atonement, I will accept atonement for myself, restores everything to my awareness. Restores to me the reason that God gave me in Christ's mind. I learned to see with Holy Spirit because that's what I want. I want to I want to keep the truth in my awareness. I want to keep my holy mind as God created it. Judgment will always interfere with me. And because because we're humans, um we're gonna see bodies. But he says, um in the manual for teachers, he says, how many teachers of God does it take to change the world? Just one. Just one who has wholly accepted atonement for himself. This one no longer sees sin, separation, death, illusion, fear, denial. <laughs> we'll still see bodies. Bodies come, bodies go. He says, but this one sees dream bodies come and dream bodies go. But the truth remains 
for this one who has accepted atonement for himself. And what remains always the truth is unity. Unity is not a thing of dreams. Judgment will interfere with my seeing truth. It always will. But when I let judgment be lifted from my mind by accepting atonement for myself, it will not interfere with my vision of truth. And I forget. And then I start again. <laughs> and I forget. And then I start again. And this question, what do I want, will always return me to truth. Always will. He says the atonement is so gentle. You need whisper to it. And all its aid will come rushing to your defense. Because that's the only truth. And we are attracted to truth. That's how we were created. This world of sin and guilt and fear, of separation, loss of innocence, illusion, will remain as long as the mind that thought it gave it birth. Atonement cracks my mind. And now perception does not represent a wish for untruth. It represents my true yearning for truth. I want the truth, nothing but the truth. Oh, and that's the atonement for me. The oneness. The inner picture then becomes an outer reflection. The outer reflection becomes, I'm saying that wrong, my inner picture does become an outer perception. And that's a really good definition of Christ's vision um, for me. I'm complete. Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you, Laurie. I really enjoyed hearing that. Thank you, Laurie. That was beautiful. Just what I Thank did. you, Laurie. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. I would love to call out Brother Lemoyne and hear what he thinks about cause and effect. Thank you. Good morning, Thank you, Lori, for that beautiful, beautiful um, talk. Yeah, that, that just the way it flows. Uh, you know, I was sitting there and, you know, as we're listening to the reading, I was going in and out of um, wanting to be right about something and wanting to be happy and feel love with the parties involved and assured, assuredness. And, uh, you know, and I noticed myself going back and forth and I'm going, wow, you know, it was, it's painful. It's painful to, to come from love and then go back into the other thing. And I got afraid, you know, and the biggest fear is I'm going to choose not love, <laughs> the illusion. Um, and I just said, well, even that fear is an illusion. So, so I don't know what shifted, but something shifted. 
And I just said, I choose love. You know, I just choose love. I just want to tell you something really cute before I walk up the steps um, to my basement. And I would like to ask for prayer for Annie, my Annie cat, one more time. Um, I determined that it's stress and it, that's really causing her the problems. Flea bites are a minor thing. And so I called on someone for help to remove the stress. And what, what was in the way of love with me and this person came up. And so I'm in the process of forgiving myself and forgiving him and letting the Holy Spirit show me who we are and what we are and how the relationship should be. And the thing that was most comforting about the reading today was that I don't have to know how to get back to a place of truth or love. All I need to do is just choose it and trust that as I go with my best thought and open my heart, and just choose to see the good, um, I will get into that place of truth. And I love, Lana, when you said that the, the time when you're in the place of love is longer and in the place of fear is shorter and keeps getting shorter. And I'm just going to end with this because I got my little kitty cat asking me to go upstairs. Fleas are part of the problem with Annie. And I'm trying to get my brother to take me to the, the vet today, which I don't know if that's going to happen because uh, he didn't offer after I asked. So... I'm thinking, gosh, maybe we can just reduce her stress. So he's going to take action to get rid of the raccoons. And here's what's really funny. She had her tail on my chest as we're laying in bed today. And that's what I've been doing, listening, laying in bed. And I felt a little half of some little something, something, little insect go into my shirt, onto my chest. And my first response was, oh, get it out. But somebody said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Let it just fl- hop around. It's, it's, it's harmless. What I was told is that I just took, I was told by my psychic intuition that she only has two fleas. What I was told was that I am now host to one of her fleas. Yay! So I'm about to just step in the shower and let it go. We, we had a little mini miracle. <laughs> oh, I now have one of the fleas. She has one less flea. And if the Holy Spirit can get rid of a flea like that miraculously, I think the Holy Spirit can heal her of her stress and remove that from her body and probably remove the other flea too. And so I'm going to hop in the shower now and and let that little flea go down the the tub. And um, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit works because I left that tub full of water for some reason, and I don't know why. And once the flea gets washed off, for sure he's going to be grown. And what a mom won't do for her kids, huh? <laughs> Take on a flea. I'm complete. Thanks. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor, too. Don't you love it? It can be turned into a happy dream if I just allow it. And for me, the part that's most important is to forgive myself for not having chosen it up somehow. Because I know that, that there has no real harm done. And so I really ask the Holy Spirit help me realize no harm, no foul, all is still love, all is still beauty, all is still the way it shines in its true beauty and peace. And I can forgive myself because this is the truth. Thank you. And so it is. Amen. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you, Mindy. Thanks. And would you guys say a little prayer that that flea hops off into the water and makes its transition to its eternal home quickly? (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Woohoo. Well, let's see, <clears throat> Judy, you asked about cause, and um, and I know Lemoyne has some things to say about that, but um, but the request uh, reminded me of this quote that is just so exceptional in terms of what we're talking about today. It's from chapter 13 in the Way of Salvation. He says, you who belong to first cause, both of those words are capitalized, first cause created by him like unto himself and part of him are more than merely guiltless. The state of guiltlessness is only the condition in which what is not there has been removed from the disordered mind that thought it was. This state. And only this must you attain with God beside you, for until you do, you will still think you are separate from him. You can feel his presence next to you, but cannot know that you are one with him. This need not be taught. Learning applies only to the condition in which it happens of itself. In the next paragraph that I'll read, he's talking about the means. Remember, early on in this chapter, he said, if you accept the Holy Spirit's purpose, which is unity, okay? if you accept the Holy Spirit's purpose, the universal purpose, the means for its attainment will be given you. So consider this, then. When you have let all that obscured the truth in your most holy mind be undone for you, and stand before your Father. He will give himself as he has always done. Giving himself is all he knows, and so it is all knowledge. For what he knows not cannot be, and therefore cannot be given. Ask not to be forgiven. I think we have an unmuted line. Ask not to be forgiven, he says. <laughs> One second. For this has already been accomplished, but ask rather to learn how to forgive and restore what always was to your unforgiving mind. Atonement becomes real and visible to them that use it. On earth, this is your only function, and you must learn that it is all you want to learn. Um, when we talked about this before, I remember Yvonne used the word alignment. And when I allow my mind to be aligned with truth, truth of the atonement, first cause, uh, everything that was disordered in my mind, I am allowing to be removed. That's what he means when he says, yes means not no. You know, I can't have both. I must choose one. And the one I want is the one I'll have. 
because only one of those is, is, is the truth, you see? That's what he means when he says, you notice the other three questions are desire, desire, desire. The fourth question is not desire, but want. I've aligned my will with the will of my Father. You see, will is a much stronger word, a much more definitive and constant word, a word that implies I'm not going to change my mind. Much stronger than desire. That's the alignment that he's talking about when he says aligning my mind with the atonement will affect affect the removal of everything that was disordered from my mind for me. I'm not doing that. I don't even need to ask to be forgiven, but rather learn, he says, how to forgive and restore what always was to my unforgiving mind. This is why atonement is a lesson in sharing. Atonement is unity and is a unit is and is a lesson in sharing. I can't be holy and see you unholy. As soon as I do I'll lose my awareness of holiness. That's the nature of truth. Truth is true throughout all parts being equal. Um so anyway, you who belong to first cause are more than merely guiltless. That's just what I think about cause and effect. Anyway, I'm complete. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, Laurie. I so love that quote from chapter 13. And, you know, that really goes with the lesson for today, too, that, you know, if I'm judging anything, I'm judging God. I'm judging Christ the Son of God, as one, as one in unity. And so I appreciate you you reminding me of that, one of my favorites. Thank you, Lori. Oh, thanks, Judy. You know, I have... Um, I've had a, a sort of a challenging meeting this morning, and um, the topics of criticism and judgment were um, in both daily readings that we read, you know, every day. And um, there's such little understanding of how how judgment and criticism separates us. Um, a judge, judgment and criticizing myself, judging, criticizing others others judging and criticizing me, and the feelings that we get that we're being attacked, and feelings of, of, of being threatened, and, and um, how it's, it's, it's instinctual, it's in a primal instinct to defend ourselves, and how our emotions run away with that. We take the bait, and it takes us. And, um, you know, the, the, the gentleness, I love the way you shared, when you shared, Lori, you said, whisper to the atonement. <laughs> that really just, that, that shivers me timbers. 
that gentleness of whispering to the atonement and the perfect love of God that that says, you know, no, no, yes means no, that no one is my enemy, I'm not your enemy, and you can't make me yours, even if you think so. <laughs> oh, but oh, how the world turns, the turn swirls, <laughs> as my friend would <laughs> obscenely put it. So I'm trying to laugh when um, I've had a little bit of fear and trembling and trepidation this morning. So thank you all for being here and for helping to fortify me in, in um, a higher level of spiritual understanding which I know um, forgiveness calls for. Forgive them, they know not what they do. And that they're not doing anything to me, um, that they're only doing it unto themselves, and um, that that is why we need to have faith in one another and hope and charity and mercy. And God gives me the strength and the will to want only that. I'm complete. Amen. Oh, thanks, Judy. I loved every bit of that. Well, there's still time, my friends, so um, take a minute to um, maybe find your your mute button and and come off mute to see if there's something you're moved to share how much we need each other's um, fortification I'll say I don't know where this quote is, but one thing I want to say about the reading is in um, the sixth chapter in my book, it says, reason would assure you all the questions are the same. And we said this year we would emphasize the sameness of things that are the same. And I love that quote. I don't know where it is in the book that says, what is the same cannot be different, and what is one cannot have separate parts. So maybe I'll go find that. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Judy. Most excellent quote. And I think I heard you uh, there a minute, Lemoyne, also. Yeah. 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 Question. I'll get in. Um, well, I think to start with... Um, and really this and I can see the discussion is about this it is about the lesson. And I think and I think the one of the primary ways in perhaps the primary way in which the the lesson related to the text is and what this difference between perception and judgment or sorry, perception and vision, and the answer is our 
will to judge. Because <clears throat> judgment clearly always, it always separates. The one who judges, the one who is judged, who is, judged, is separated not just from the one who judges, but from others by the judge itself. And so it, it's really, it really, uh, you know, by building our worldview, our perception uh, on judgment, it becomes fracturing to the unity that is there. And I think... <clears throat> I think the uh, the this is maybe the you know what the I'm not sure it's in the text, but I get this this clear message from the text that, um, that in vision you can we can see that everything is has the same first cause. Everything has the same first cause. And that we are um, not necessarily special or different, but that we are of that created like unto that first cause. So that would say that we are cause. And clearly, we're exercising something like that perception that we built up of, out of our judgment. We cause our own perception. This is the way we see the world that we want to be there. But those judgments are consciously present or just carried around with some decision previously made and forgotten that we made it and now you know it's been projected on the world so many times we think it's real so I think the message that I was trying to get to <laughs> that I'm get from this text and I believe it's in one of the two but it's certainly a message in that the text would have us learn I is that we are the effect of nothing but that first cause in our being that is who we are. We are only effects of God created. And that, that <clears throat> relieves us of the responsibility of building a world and uh, um enables us to enter into a world that's more flexible around around what it sees and what's available. And if if we as we set down judgment, freedom actually arises. We think we have to fight for it and find you know, use our judgment to determine where we can act freely, but it really is all free and we only limit ourselves with our judgment. So 
I think, you know, to return to the the inkling of vision that starts to erase all the different things we've done, um, I turn to a course of love. Really clear on the subject, I think. And then, <clears throat> and you know what I've what I've been talking about, and what the reading is about, is what we choose instead in seeking to uh, try and carve out a place in the world that we view as unfriendly. So I'm, I'm going to read this paragraph. Then the first paragraph of chapter 16, what you choose instead. The glory that you felt from love only seemed to be available from one and not from another. Love is not available from anyone in the way you think it is. Love has but one source. That this source lies within each of you does not make it many sources. For the many of you have but one source as well. This common source does not make any of you special, but all of you the same. You may ask now why it doesn't seem so, and the only answer is that you do not want it. You perceive but what you wish for, and your wish for specialness leads you not to see sameness anywhere at all, for what is the same and not be special. You know, he goes on, says, without judgment there would be no separation, for you would see no difference between yourself and your brothers and sisters. Your judgment began with your own self, and from it was all conflict born. Without differences, there's no cause for conflict. Judgment makes difference. It looks past what is the same, and sees it not, and sees instead what it is looking for. What you are looking for is what you will find. But finding it does not make it the truth, except as it is the truth about what you choose to see. Your choice lies with God or with the self you believe you have succeeded in separating from him. And based on this choice alone is how you see determined. So... um, Thank you, Lemoyne. That was lovely. That was really good. Thank you. Yes, indeed. I'm so glad you brought that in from Course of Love. Just perfect. Thank you. Trying to uh, (laughs) not just keep reading. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, you know, the instruction here, the kind of the end point, is to see how important it is that you listen with your heart. Your heart does not want to see with judgment or with fear. It calls you to accept forgiveness for yourself. Thank you, for yourself. It calls on you to accept forgiveness that you may give it. And henceforth, yeah. upon forgiven world with love. 
and then we've got one of my favorite lines in here. I repeat again that reason does not oppose love as your split mind would have you believe it does. For your split mind judges even love and opposes it on the basis that it uses no judgment. Here you can see the value you place on judgment. Even to the ridiculous notion that you can judge judgment itself. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I ended up here, I'm pretty sure, because I had the insight or listened well enough to hear that original sin is judgment itself. It's not how the thought of separation occurs, but how we try and pound it into reality. And really, we just, like, limit ourselves. And, uh, and so, you know, the text does say the fear is a judgment never justified. The fear, in a sense, in the issue of, in the, to look at it from cause and effect, fear is the belief. In order to fear, you must believe your effect. And this is a judgment that's not justified. Being your cause. And we are the effect only of first cause, which is all being, which created all this, hasn't left it. Thank you, Lemoyne. Yes, thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lemoyne. This well, is Ida. Hi. Oh, hi, Ida. I was just talking with a friend who knows the course and <clears throat> the way of mastery last night about judgment especially whatever I was judging at that moment. I don't remember whatever, whoever, and how. I told another friend the importance of if you want to be able to forgive others, you have to forgive yourself. Which comes first to me, that's like the chicken or the egg. To me, it just comes at the same time. If I can't, yeah, if I can't forgive myself, I can't forgive others. But if I can't forgive others, I can't forgive myself either. You know what I mean? So um, in the sort of illusion of the world and separate people and everything, to me that's what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ida. Thanks, Ida. welcome. Thank you, Ida. Well, my friends were... Judy, can we end the recording right now and then let's just all stay on the line because there's so much, so much more here that we can, that we can share. Um, 
But Lemoyne, your share pointed me to this place to close the call. I think it's from chapter 11, the 70th paragraph. The power of decision is your one remaining freedom as prisoner of the world. You can decide to see it right. What you made of it is not its reality, for its reality is only what you gave it. And you cannot really give anything but love to anyone or anything, nor can you really receive anything else from them. If you think you've received anything else, it's because you've looked within and thought you saw the power to give something else within yourself. And it was only this decision that determined what you found, for it was the decision of what you sought. When you have accepted your mission to protect project peace you will find it for by making it manifest you will see it its holy witnesses will surround you because you called upon them and they will come to you I have heard your call and I have answered it but you will not look upon me nor hear the answer which you said because you do not yet want only that yet as I become more real to you and that's reason the voice of reason as I become more real to you you will learn you do want only that and you will see me as you look within and we will look upon the world as God created it together through the eyes of Christ only the real world exists and can be seen as you decide so will you see and all that you see but witnesses to your decision you can decide to see it right amen and thank you everybody for your shares and for reading today and everyone else who may listen to this recording we're so grateful whenever you can join us and um, this call ends um, at this recording but the call goes on so please stay on the line if you have more to share thank you everyone thank you thank you Laurie thank you so much